reading for this morning is taken from the book of Jonah. We'll be reading from Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 17, the final verse in the chapter, and then moving on to the end of chapter 2. And you'll be able to find that on page 1068 of your pew Bible, page 1068. Jonah 1, starting at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. If you'll remember, Jonah's been running from the Lord at this point in time, and uh, he fled out on a ship onto the Mediterranean Sea, headed for distant coasts. A storm came up, and they found out that it was because he was running from the Lord, and they threw him overboard. Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Even waters surrounded me. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So far, the word of God. So, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So far, the word of God. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, think back, if you will, to your darkest day. Think back for, to, to a time for a moment when you felt that God was far from you, when you felt oppressed with sorrow, when, for a moment, it may have felt like God abandoned you. When, for a time, life felt empty. Some of you, praise God, will never have experienced such a time. Some of you will have experienced that feeling of God's closeness throughout your lives, and that's wonderful. That's something to be deeply grateful for. But many of you do know that pain. Sometimes you don't know what causes it. It's a deep, aching void. In other cases, it's because life has suddenly become difficult for you. You lost one, two, or more precious people. A disaster has come into your life and suddenly everything's turned upside down. A car accident threw your future into doubt. 
the loss of a job opportunity, through your plans for a loop. Getting turned down from the university program you wanted cut you off from the hoped-for direction that you wanted to take. And yet for others, it's because of sin. You have sinned and you feel cut off from God. You don't even dare to come before Him in prayer. You feel undeserving. What can you do? Today we see Jonah in that third category. God had commanded him to do something and he ran into the other direction. He rebelled. Jonah cost a shipload of men their cargo, probably bankrupting some of them in the process. And he very nearly cost them their lives. He was thrown overboard. He was swallowed by a great fish and now he's trapped. And he can feel his heart sinking into depression. Will he be caught like this forever? Today we see this glimpse into Jonah's life under the following theme. Cry out to the Lord from the pit of death. And we'll see, under three, see it under three points. Doomed, distressed, and delivered. The opening words of our passage give us the situation that Jonah finds himself in at this moment in time. And we're reminded again that he was thrown overboard, and then as he sinks, we read the following. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There are a few things that ought to be pointed out here. Uh, first of all, you're looking at a great fish. Well, you've seen those children's books that have this enormous whale coming by, and you get this idea of maybe something like uh, Monstro the Whale from Pinocchio. Well, that's not... While the Hebrew word for fish doesn't exclude the idea of a whale, that's likely not the kind of fish that swallowed Jonah. The size of a throat of a whale doesn't allow for it to swallow a man whole. So chances are bigger that it's some kind of big fish that swallowed him. Now, while that fish reach the... While, while fish that reach the size of being able to swallow a man whole aren't that common, they are there in the Mediterranean Sea. So the miracle that we find here isn't the fact that there was a fish that came along that was able to swallow Jonah, and wasn't the size of it or its ability. But the miracle that we find here is the fact that God kept Jonah alive for three days and three nights while he was there. He survived. This fish also pointed to God's timing. The fact that there was a perfect sized fish at the perfect sized time there showed that it was the Lord who had prepared that fish with the one aim of that creature's life to be there that stormy day to swallow Jonah. Think about how that must have felt for Jonah. When he's first swallowed, the deep didn't drown him. Being in a fish didn't suffocate him. And yet he's trapped in the dark all alone. And he's sitting there wondering Will this never end? You see, when Jonah was first swallowed, he had no idea how long he would be there. 
All he knew was the deep darkness and the terrible aloneness that he found there. When he discovered that the Lord was miraculously keeping him alive there, he didn't know how or why or for how long the Lord would keep him there. For all he knew, this was the end. For all he knew, this was eternity. He was not really alive, not when he's sitting there in the belly of a fish, although he might be alive. He's a walking dead man. It's not really living when death hangs over you in such a sense. He's trapped in a moving tomb. It's as though he's doomed to this forever and his thoughts swirl around him. Now, while we ourselves perhaps don't find ourselves in the belly of the fish, we do know the place that Jonah finds himself in here. The aloneness that's there even in a crowd. The darkness that's there even during the brightness of the afternoon sun. The coldness that grips the heart even when others are enduring the cheery warmth of fellowship. The smile that feels brittle, pained, or false. Feeling cut off from God's presence, even when trying to kneel in prayer before Him. Whether from sin, circumstance, or reason simply unknown, this can be, as one person famously described it, a black dog of despair following everywhere. Jonah remains here. Is he doomed to be in this fish forever? Was this what eternity would look like for him? Was this the end of the road? While he was at liberty, Jonah fled from God. He had believed in some small corner of his heart that he could perhaps escape the command of God. But now, confined to the inside of the fish, he's brought to face reality. He turns once again to God. Now that he can no longer flee, he sets himself in God's presence through prayer. Caught in the deep, far away and alone, he speaks to the only one who can hear. Jonah speaks for an audience of one. And this is where his doom puts itself into the proper perspective. This is where it becomes clear to him that he was never more a captive than when he was fleeing from God's will. And being a captive now, he can never be freer than in the enjoyment of God's grace. Like the prodigal son, he returns to God in prayer. He returns to his God in prayer. Notice the word that comes up here that he uses. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish. Interesting, isn't it? He recognizes who the Lord is. The Lord isn't just some far off and distant deity, although he seems that way to so many in our world today. He's not detached. It was his storm that rose up against Jonah. It was his God who afflicted him. It was this God's fish that swallowed him up, saving him from death, yet keeping him perpetually captive. So even in the face of despair, he recognized that this God would be merciful if he fled to him. 
And so he trusts in him. Coming before him in his time of need, he asks that he can approach him in prayer. This isn't a hypocritical call. You know, you'll sometimes find that, maybe even you'll find it in your own heart, that for a while you only call on God when suddenly things go wrong. That he's your fail-safe when nothing else works. But this isn't the case here. This is a genuine calling on God in his time of need. Crying out to God, a genuine cry. This is an example of faith for us. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Even here, alone in the darkness, he cries out to God. Even as he sits alone, receiving the consequence of his sin, he cries out to God because he understands that the source of his doom is also, can also be the source of his salvation. Even in the dark, his God can hear him. And even in the dark, a living death, his God can answer him and bring him near. This brings us into our second point. What follows here, Jonah's crying out, is a three-part poetic verse that describes his distress and describes his response. It describes his darkest hour and the Lord's presence in this darkest hour. Now, we're not meant to think that while he was in the belly of this great fish, he was sitting there writing notes. But these would have been thoughts that were swirling around in his head. Thoughts that he brings before the Lord. And then after, as he's writing the book, he brings these words together into this form. If you scan the second chapter of Jonah, you can see the first two sections ending, each with a reference to God's holy temple. And the final section is one of thanks. Jonah begins with speaking about Sheol. He begins with speaking about crying out to the Lord from the belly of Sheol. Now, Sheol can be a reference to hell, but more often it's simply a reference to the realm of the dead. Caught in the dark, Jonah feels just as if he is dead and doomed forever. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. At this point, some of you kids might be thinking, wait a second, I remember how Jonah 1 goes. That wasn't the Lord that threw him in, it was the sailors that threw him overboard. Well, yes, the sailors did throw him overboard. But sometimes God uses instruments to carry out his will, people to carry out his will. Jonah is recognizing that God was behind those instruments. It's because of God that he ended up where he was. He was thrown overboard and he plunged into the water, into the heart of the seas, it says. Floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. These words which David wrote in Psalm 42 in a figurative sense, Jonah now takes in a very literal sense. It's God's billows and God's waves 
It's his displeasure that makes this real and vivid. It springs to his mind, as it does with many who suffer greatly, that perhaps, perhaps God has become his enemy. His doubt comes to life with the words, then I said, I have been cast out from your sight. Wow. A prophet of the Lord brought to such depths of despair that he expresses this thought, God won't hear me. He doesn't want me anymore. I've become his enemy. He's cast me out from his presence. He's just so far away. You can hear the grieving in his voice, can't you? The desperation. I have been cast out. But he doesn't allow this thought to linger long. We've seen that he quotes one section from Psalm 42 with the billows and the waves passing over. But now we see that he brings to action another section from this very same psalm. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That's an important thought. Sometimes when we're spiritually depressed, depressed, and I I don't say this about physical depression, there are sometimes cases in which there's a chemical imbalance and your doctor prescribes medication. I'm not saying you should not take that medication. But sometimes when we're spiritually depressed and it feels like even God is against us, we are called to take action in the same way as this psalm lays it out. Psalm 42. The famed preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, describes it in this way. He says, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. And then you must go to remind yourself of God, of who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, this psalmist of Psalm 42, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is the health of my countenance and my God, end quote. And this is exactly what Jonah does. Having voiced his fear, using the words of Psalm 42, he now takes the command in Psalm 42 to heart. And he reminds himself, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. When ourselves, our navel-gazing soul, our thoughts which spiral in on ourselves tell us that God is opposed to us and that there is no hope of pardon and that no one is listening anymore, faith responds. Faith rejects that thought. And faith turns to God. Of course, Jonah was physically cut off from God's holy temple 
when he says, I will direct, uh, I will look again toward your holy temple, he's not actually directing his eyes there because he can't see it. But he can direct his soul there. The thoughts of his heart there. Because for the Jews who were reading this book of Jonah, that temple was a sign of God's nearness. Jonah immediately checks himself, turning his thoughts to God, using the image of the temple to encourage him in his thoughts of death, in his thoughts of faith. But again, his thoughts spiral. They spiral for a second time. It's almost a comfort, isn't it? That you can see that even the saints of old struggle. That they didn't always say, I'll do this and have it done. It was a struggle for them too. His thoughts spiral down again. He says, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. Sure, waters are pressing in around him, but he feels that pressure oppressing his very soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. The earth's bars are a reference, a poetic reference to what keeps the sea in place. Those bars keep the sea from coming over the land. The sea always stays where it is. Well, those same bars, if they can keep that there, then how much more can they keep a person there? He feels locked within the boundaries of the sea, seemingly forever. Yet you, he responds once again. The power of those words is incredible. Yet you. Nothing faced him but death, and yet he confesses, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. It was only by an extraordinary miracle that he was able to raise his eyes to the throne of God. Yet God did bring him up. God did raise up his eyes. He was down to the very depths of the sea. Yet his cry ascended to the highest heights. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. He remembered the Lord in his time of trouble and once again reminded himself of God's presence in the form of the temple. But it goes further this time. For not only does he remember the Lord, but the Lord hears him. The Lord brings up his life from the pit. It requires a miracle to lift our eyes up from ourselves when we're caught in this spiral to lift our eyes up from our own situation and our own distress. But a miracle is what God provides. When we are spiritually distressed and cry out to Him, we are reminded of the miracle. And the miracle that He provides is much greater than simply lifting up our eyes. He provides us a miracle in the form of the cross. For on the cross, God provided the antidote to our rejection. When we hear the words echo in our minds, I have been cast out of your sight, we can say, no, for I will look again to the cross. 
Because of the cross, I find the one who was cast out from God's sight. Because of the cross, I find the one who was forsaken. God granted us the cross so that we can hear and hold to the promise that we find in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You are not alone. While you are living, while you are breathing, God is still there. Our prayer goes up to him in his heavenly temple and is heard by him there. It's heard by him because the Holy Spirit is relaying our sorrows to him with groans that words cannot express. It's heard by him because we have a mediator who stands at his right hand. And that mediator pleads our cause. And we'll see that in our final point. The fact that Jonah is reminded, despite everything, that his prayer still rises to God, and this God still saves, this fact impels him to praise. He can't help himself anymore. In the final part of our passage, we read the words, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. The Lord brought him salvation. Salvation is to be hoped for in the Lord alone. Those who seek it elsewhere or in themselves will only be led into deeper and darker places. Those who forsake the Lord Deliberately forsake the mercy that's being offered them. Jonah was very vividly reminded of this as he fled. But now in the belly of the fish, he was reminded again, those who turn their inward thoughts outwards, those who forsake their idols, those find mercy. We're reminded those who forsake their worthless idols will find mercy. Those who forsake their idols, whatever they may be, alcohol, self-medication, drug abuse, selfishness, pornography, broken pride, nursing their own hurts, or a myriad of different idols that we put up in our lives, will find that when they forsake them, they are turning to a place of mercy. When they embrace these things, they forsake the grace they've been offered. But when they turn to God, they find mercy in their distress. And we're led to speak in the way that Jonah speaks. He speaks in hope. These statements are founded on the hope that his deliverance will happen. And on the realization that with the way God has changed his heart, his deliverance has already happened. And this hope is based on the fact that salvation is of the Lord. There's a beautiful song that reflects on these thoughts. The song, Before the Throne of God Above, has in one of its verses, When Satan tempts me to despair, 
and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We may be tempted to despair, but we will not remain there. Look to the one who will pardon you. Look to the one by whom you are pardoned, the one in whom you'll find mercy. Then we thank and we praise God in the knowledge that he'll not only save us from this present distress, not only will he save us at the end of days, but he has already saved us through his very own son. So in times of trouble, let these words be constantly on our lips. This reminder be constantly on our heart. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen.